Network. Carly Simon in the 70s said, These are the good old days. Isn't it scary how true that has become? Because, well, except for the hair and the clothes, you know what doesn't go out of style? The truth. And we're TNN. We deal exclusively in the truth. And your master of the zeitgeist is Dan Newman. I kind of like the clothes of the 70s, especially those bloomy shirts, you know, that had the big sleeves. And then, of course, I love the platform shoes. Oh, my gosh. My six-foot body looked three, four inches taller when I wore my platform shoes. And I had hair. Oh, my goodness. Boy, things have changed, haven't they? Good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live. Tuesday's always a special day here. And today is no different than any other Tuesday. Steve Baker, our very own investigative journalist, will be joining us at the top of the second hour. That means if you live in the central time zone, that means at 10 o'clock he'll be here. Maybe bring him in a few minutes early because there are quite a few things I want him to weigh in on. Now, we haven't talked very much during this week. He's been very, very busy, as have we at TNN Live. So I know he's got some goodies for you. So make sure if you're going to be busy, you try to get all that busy stuff behind you before 10 o'clock when Steve Baker joins us. What else is happening? Let me ask you a question. Have you wondered who is really at the top the person that is responsible for Hamas over there in the Middle East. We never hear a name. We never talk about anybody. On the other side of this battle, there's Benjamin Netanyahu. We all know who he is. He's the Prime Minister of Israel. We've known about him, watched him work for decades over there in leadership in Israel. But we found out this morning who is the person, the big guy, that is running Hamas, and one would think that person, because of those close financial ties with Iran, one would think that person was up in Iran. That's not the case. Actually, we'll tell you who this guy is, we'll tell you a little bit about him, and make it very clear to you, he is in the middle of all of this. He is in Gaza. And of course, a whole lot more every day. Things happen in your life and mine, and we just SMH. We just shake our heads. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe that's happening. I can't believe this person is doing that. One thing, and we're not going to get any deep story about it because it's not put out there in the fullness of what is involved in it, is the fact that our president, we are told by our Secretary of State, by the way, Antony Blinken, Joe Biden's headed to Israel today. Now, the first thing I thought of was, well, you know, maybe last weekend, maybe middle of last week, that might have been a good time to go. But with this impending invasion on the ground that Israel has told everybody on earth they're about to initiate, it could happen at any minute. And how would that impact President Biden from going to Israel? Well, Air Force One is an airplane. And those things can get shot down. Don't you think all of those Middle Eastern terrorists, and it's not just in Israel, it's not just in Hamas, 
there are terrorists in every Middle Eastern state, just like there are terrorists here in the United States. More of them now than than I care to think of. We know of 150, 150 known terrorists on the FBI's terrorist watch list that found their way across Joe Biden's southern border into the continental United States. So we know about a hundred and a half. How many others are out there? I can't imagine our president and any of his advisors deciding in the middle of a war that it was a good idea to go to Israel. This isn't a conventional war. Conventional war, maybe so. You can kind of speculate with some uh, assurances that what you're speculating based upon circumstances from the past and how the parties involved would treat you if you're the president and you go in there. That happened in the Ukrainian war. Joe Biden snuck in. But it was, and it is, a conventional war where you have two foes from different countries that are fighting. This thing going on in the Middle East Who the heck knows how many individuals, how many groups, how many countries, how many factions are involved in this and who thinks what and who's willing to do what to make a statement? I just don't get it. But you know what? There are a whole lot of things about this president that I don't get. And I'll guarantee you, you've got some too. So how are we going to handle all of this? Well, Steve Baker and I, second hour, are going to get into some of it. But until then, we have a bunch for you. So sit tight.
joining us every day here at TNN Live. Those of you who can do it live, if you miss it live, part of it, all of it, feel free at any time to go grab it off of any one of your favorite podcast sites, Spotify, iHeartRadio, let's see, Google, Stitch In, Stitcher, I'll get it straight, TuneIn, Google Podcast, and even many other ones. Apple, almost forgot about Apple. Go grab it. If you miss something, go ahead and download it and keep it. And if you can't listen to it all at one time, listen, I get it. Two hours is a big, big commitment every day. And there are bits and pieces from the beginning to the end that are usually pretty important. Many of those you don't know about. So I like to keep you educated. That's why we do this. Incidentally, for those of you that don't know this, we don't we don't monetize this show. We don't monetize our website. It's all brought to you because we want and feel an obligation to everyone that we can share the knowledge that we obtain, and we get it from many different sources. We're not all the smart people that uh, you think work at a website or work at a news operation. No. We gather news. We investigate And sometimes we're a day or so late on many of the big controversial issues because we don't want to come to you and tell you this is what's going on if we're not certain what we tell you is really going on. Facts matter. There are a lot of examples of it not mattering to a bunch of people in today's world that call themselves media experts. I know you agree with me there. Man, we get so much bad news and bad information so much pontification along a political narrative line from both sides. Nobody's hands are clean. Nobody as a Democrat, the Democrat Party, a Republican or the Republican Party, nobody gets absolved from making their opinions often seem to be the facts when they're not necessarily the facts. You know, I I always think back to when I first began to be cognizant of the news It was around, I guess, the time that John F. Kennedy was elected. I remember it was a very contentious election. Why is that? Because we lived in South Louisiana. Ninety-plus percent of people in South Louisiana are of the Catholic faith. And people in South Louisiana went crazy because John F. Kennedy was running against Richard Nixon, Dick Nixon, running against him for the presidency. Well, John F. Kennedy was a Catholic. So he was a hero on many fronts. It's kind of ironic, years later, many years later, my mom and dad split up. My dad moved back to South Texas where our family, the Newman family, our side of the Newman family, hailed from. And mom stayed in South Louisiana. She met a man twice her age. They fell in love. It was one of those love stories. She was a nurse. He was in a horrible wreck And uh, he was dealing with some chemical issues at the time. And this is back in the 70s, so you know the chemical issue we're talking about was booze. But he was a very wealthy man. And I have a picture of my stepfather, Papa Joe Huval, on the mantle at our house, a picture of him with John F. Kennedy in his arm around my father-in-law's neck. And the first time I saw that, I asked mom, and this is before my uh, father-in-law died, my stepfather died. 
And I asked Mama, I said, what's that all about? And she said, well, go ask Papa. This is before he died. I went in there and I said, Papa Joe, what what's this about? I know who this is, John F. Kennedy. I know. And he said, yeah. He said, I was the Louisiana campaign manager for the Democrat Party when, when uh, John F. Kennedy was running for president. So he actually knew the president of the United States, which I thought was so cool. My kids, they fight over who's going to get that picture when Marianne and I leave this earth. I'll just let them fight over it. At that point, I won't care. Well, anyway, let's get right down. Let's hunker down because we've got many things to do. Yes, Steve Baker will be here at the top of the next hour, and he's loaded for bear. He's got a lot of new stuff to bring to us and some things that he and I have spoken about that we're going to elaborate a little on. But when we started the show, before you heard that Chicago tune, I, I mentioned this. Who's in charge? Who's running the ship called Hamas? Normally, we know who's at the head of these countries, these factions that are against us. But I've never heard this guy's name ever mentioned. And I've thought about it a couple of times. I just assumed it was some terrorist operation leader out of Lebanon or out of Iran. In fact, I even thought it might be an Iranian person. It's not his name. He's got a name. Yah Yah Sinwar. Y-A-H-Y-A, Yahya Senwar. Now, let me tell you a little about him. He's referred to by Israel as the Butcher of Khan Yonis for his violent and cruel torture methods he uses against his enemies, both Israeli and Palestinian, by the way. Senwar is 60 years old. And he's widely seen as being behind the massacre of these Israeli civilians that were carried out by thousands of Hamas militants just a week and a half ago. That attack in which 1,400 people are now known to have been killed with 200 still missing and likely being held hostage somewhere in the Gaza Strip, it's the worst attack against Jews since the Holocaust in World War II by Germans. Civilian men, women, and children were not only murdered, and this is all factual. What I'm saying now, it is factual, proven, evidence of all kinds. According to multiple eyewitnesses reports, these brutal thugs raped, even decapitated, and brutalized people in horrible ways that we can't even fathom. So, again, his name, remember this. Yahya Sinwar. Israeli Defense Forces spokesman Lieutenant Colonel Richard Heck told journalists over the weekend, that man is in our sights. Sinwar is the leader of Hamas in Gaza, and he's a dead man walking. We will get him however long it takes, and this war could be long, he said. Sinwar is believed to be somewhere in the Palestinian enclave, but hidden deep underground in that mass of tunnels that Hamas uses to transport weapons and fighters and where they may even be keeping the hostages. He was born in the Kanyonis refugee camp when the area was part of Egypt. 
According to a bunch of different sources, he was always a militant activist, and he joined Hamas not long after its founding in 1987. Two years later, he was arrested by Israel for his involvement in the abduction and killing of two Israelis, as well as the torturing and murder of four Palestinians that he considered to be collaborators. You know, there's no trial, there's no need to proof to get proof of uh, guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. If you don't like him, just kill him. He was sentenced for that to life in prison. He ended up serving 22 years in an Israeli jail. He was eventually released as part of a prisoner exchange for the abducted Israel soldier Gilad Shalit in 2011. Sinwar has been active since the early days of Hamas. This is coming from Kobe Michael, a senior researcher at the Institute for National Security Studies in Tel Aviv. In jail, he became a prominent leader of Hamas prisoners, was a very influential figure among all the Palestinian prisoners. Michael said that during his time in jail, Sinwar learned to speak Hebrew fluently, knows Israeli society very well. He's religious, not necessarily in practice, but in religious extremism. In his soul and in mentality, he's a living martyr, not afraid to die or sacrifice himself. He's extreme and believes that he can lead the Palestinian people to destroy Israel. He doesn't have a Western way of thinking, Michael continued talking about Sinwar. When he talks about the destruction of Zionist project and raising the caliphate from Marrakesh to Bangladesh, he's not even talking about his lifetime, but he's speaking of future generations. After being returned to Gaza as part of that deal, that prisoner exchange, Sinwar became a popular leader in Hamas, an affiliate of the Muslim Brotherhood. And in 2017, he was elected by secret ballot to replace the incumbent political leader, Ismail Haniya. Michael Milstein, head of the Palestinian Studies Forum at the Dayan Center in Tel Aviv, described Sinwar as part of the second generation of Hamas leaders and said he has the potential of leading the entire movement, not just its affairs in Gaza. Compared to Hania and former political leader Khalid Michel, Sinwar is very charismatic, adding that he is also far more hardline and radical than the previous Hamas leaders. He believes that he was born to promote jihad and kill the infidels, and that's his approach. He comes from periphery of Palestinian society, from a refugee camp, unlike the others who like to wear suits and ties. Mishteen said Sinwar was willing to take the conflict to another level and was unlikely to run away from Israel's approaching military. I don't see him running away, giving up, or handing himself over. He will fight until he dies. That is the kind of leader he is. Sounds like the Israelis in Gaza, everything to deal with Gaza, they are up against a very formidable opponent. When you take on somebody in a battle, I mean a real physical battle, mental, but physical too, 
And the person you're fighting against, they have no care for what the outcome is in whatever they're doing. No care for themselves, their lives. They don't give a rip. They're so sold out to the cause. And it doesn't matter what the cause is. People can make up all kinds of excuses for doing anything and everything they want. All of us have made excuses to try to get away with stuff in our lives, haven't we? Oh, you haven't? (laughs) You're telling a lie then. I mean, we have this innate desire that's born in all of us to get our way. Look at what babies do. How quickly babies learn that they can manipulate adults around them. People like moms and dads and uncles and aunts. They manipulate. They learn how to do that. It's almost like they're born with it to some degree. That's a story for another day. But this guy is without question a very formidable foe. And if Israel thought they were going to blow through Gaza, I have a sense in my gut that when this ground invasion begins, it's not going to go well for the Israeli armies that go into Gaza where they're going to have to fight either in these tunnels that they're all over that part of Gaza and the Gaza Strip. These people are the ones that engineered and built every one of those tunnels. There are maps. Every place is marked, and they know it. I've not heard any kind of news or information coming out of Israel that there's anybody on their side that knows all about this series of tunnels over there. So I would consider Sinwar and all of his minions to be a very formidable foe for the IDF whenever the Israeli Defense Force, whenever they make the decision to go ahead with that invasion. It's going to be bloody. It's going to be gory. And when we look north and east and see what's transpired in the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the death and the horrors there, I think Ukraine's stuff is going to pale in comparison to what happens. And on the other side of the battle lines from Sinwar or the Israeli people, they too have lived through some really horrible past. I've been to Dachau. You've heard that, but you don't know what it is. Probably the nastiest of the Nazi prison camps. It's in Germany. And I went there about five or six years ago. I tried to prepare myself for what I saw there. But it was unexplainable. I couldn't even explain it. It was so horrible. They have kept, they being the German people, have kept Dachau in its original way it was built. It was never torn down. All of the original buildings are still there. And the reason I'm bringing this up, I want want you to understand, we're the United States of America. We are a peaceful nation. We don't believe in just going after others that we disagree with, that we don't like their politics, or they don't like our religion, and they just go after us, or we go after them, and we just slaughter them. We don't live in that environment, and very few Americans understand it. I'm one. I can tell you I've seen it. I've watched documentaries. I mean, I've even watched Saving Private Ryan three or four times, and I know that's a movie. I get that. 
But that kind of stuff really happened. Thankfully, it didn't happen in the ground of the United States, but it did happen over there and much, much worse. It's totally different when people are born and the first thing they are taught after they are born, when they get to an age where they can understand, is to hate other people. That's the most important thing in their lives. And so they hear that, they see it when they're growing up, and it's just conditioned in them. I grew up in a fundamental Christian home. I was taught from a very young age about the goodness of God. And everything that a young boy can grasp and understand about being a Christian. And as I grew up, I grew up to learn more and more and more. But hatred was never something that was taught to me. It's the antithesis to what terrorist Muslim activity is constructed around. It's built, its foundation is hatred for anybody and everybody that doesn't subscribe to the Muslim faith and the tenets of Islam. And anybody that doesn't agree with that, in their Bible, the Quran, it says, and I'm I'm abbreviating what it says, it says convert the infidel or kill the infidel. You and I, if you're a Christian, you would be considered an infidel. And it's very plain. There too, according to their God, in the Quran, their instruction manual, manual, they were told to either convert you and me to the Islamic way of thinking. If they are unsuccessful, they're supposed to send us home to our God. And they're taught that from birth. Hamas is no different. I think they just ramp it up a notch or two because they are a terrorist operation Make no bones about it. They're there to kill the infidel. So, when I went to Dachau, I'm going to tell you this story and we're going to move on. The most horrible thing that I saw when I was there and a building this was contained in is still there in the same form it was in. There are pictures, and you can imagine in the middle 1940s, Pictures then weren't nearly as good and clear as they are today. And honestly, I think I like it that way. The pictures that I saw outside this building, this building was where they had several thousand prisoners. And getting to take a shower and clean up was a really big deal. And what the Germans would do is they would come into the barracks And they would round up these people and say, it's time to take a shower. Follow us. And they would bring these people over to one side of this building where there was one door. When the door was open, they were told to go inside. When they went inside, they were told, this is where you hang your clothes for the shower. They would hang their clothes. And then that door had closed behind them on that side of this building. They opened the door on the other side. This is where the shower is. And they'd walk in there and there were nozzles hanging overhead like they were shower, you know, shower heads. The door was closed behind them. And it wasn't water that came out, it was gas. And they died in that room. 
But the horrors got worse, if you can believe this or not. There's another room on that side. Today, when you go in that room, there are four massive ovens, and that is where they drugged the bodies. The Germans drugged the bodies of those that they had just killed with gassing to incinerate the bodies. How could anybody stoop to that level to do those kinds of things to fellow citizens of the world? It doesn't matter what your grievance is. But the fundamentals are missing. Sinwar, this leader, the fundamentals of being a a citizen of the earth, and nobody's a citizen of the earth, but you know what I mean, living on the globe somewhere, breathing the same air as other people that are just like you or 180 degrees different from you. Everybody deserves to be able to live, period. Nobody has the right to unilaterally snuff life out of anybody's body. But there always have been, and as long as this world existed in the form it is today, there always will be people who willingly, without even a thought, are ready to and will immediately launch into taking others' lives and do so with impunity. They don't care. They don't sense. They don't feel. The fact that Our president, we are told, is either there, I haven't looked in the last 30 minutes, he's either in Israel or he's on his way today. Antony Blinken is the Secretary of State. I started to say, I don't know who he listens to for advice on going places and doing things. And then I thought of Antony Blinken. He's the most feckless Secretary of State I've ever seen in my life of 70 years. I could see that happening. But then I think about who would be getting on Air Force One. Joe Biden, our president. He's not known for making really good decisions about a lot of things. And as Israel prepares for this ground invasion that we are being told will be like no other one in modern history as they go into Gaza on the ground and go door to door, finding people that have been turned into hostages, many are being just maimed and killed. Many are just stuck in there, don't know what to do or how to get out. We're going to see atrocities that we could never even comprehend happening on innocence. And they're being killed. They're being slaughtered. They're being martyred for one reason, one reason only because of the blood that flows through their veins. There's a scripture in the Bible talking about the end times, the end of the world. And if you believe, you've heard Armageddon mentioned again and again, that's the big final war. There'll be good on one side, evil on the other side. I'm a Christian, so I hold fast to the belief that the good side is going to wind out. I believe it beyond my comprehension, I think. I really do. But the scripture I'm talking about, it says this. When you see these things, all these things begin to happen, when you see them begin to happen, look up 
because your redemption draweth nigh. Most Bible scholars think that's the foretelling of Armageddon, the final battle. I don't know. I have no idea what it's talking about, but I believe it. And my opinion is this could very well be the time for Christians to look up because our redemption's getting close. We may be, just may be, on the brink of something really, really, really nastier than the world has ever seen. 35 years after the original movie, Fox is bringing you back to where it all began. Nobody puts baby in the corner. This is the real Dirty Dance. Yeah. Eight celebrities compete to become the real Baby and Johnny. Work on my Johnny here. Some will rise. Some will fall. All will have the time of their life. The Real Dirty Dancing four-week event starts Tuesday at 9 on Fox 5. Little Caesars Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring $6.49 in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesars. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesars Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just $6.49. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. ABC Tonight, it's all about Big Cash. Here we go! And Big Crash. <laughs> On the new season of Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, one star will spin it. To win it all. The big winner of $1 million. Then, host Leslie Jones is off to the races on Supermarket Sweep. On your carts! Get set! Yeah. And we're going to need a cleanup on every aisle. You are on fire! It all starts tonight, 8, 7 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. Walk, crawl, or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. But act now. Or later, because these Staples everyday price cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These everyday price cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest Staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing everyday price cuts. Thank you. Cowbell? Better yet, how about the Ring of Truth? TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. You know, I've, I've been waiting. Many of us thought that that ground attack, when the Israeli defense forces were going in on the ground to Gaza, I thought it was going to happen as early as last Friday overnight. And here we are. We're, uh, let's see what time... We're getting close to evening time in Israel on Tuesday. Still hadn't happened. Now, the fact that it hadn't happened makes a lot of people speculate. Why haven't they? What's holding Israel back? A lot of speculation. One answer to that thrown out there is Lebanon. Lebanon. Iran's proxy terrorist army, Hezbollah, 
has been firing anti-tank missiles at Israeli posts on the border sporadically. Commandos have been trying to breach the Israeli border at various points. I didn't know that. Israel has maintained a policy of firing back, but only at the positions from where they were attacked, not at a broader Hezbollah target. If Hezbollah were to go to war, as Iran has threatened, Israel would be fighting a war on two fronts. So speculation is that Israel's been taking time to prepare for that two-front possibility. Another another reason is international concern for humanitarian conditions in Gaza. In previous conflicts, Israel's most formidable enemy has been global public opinion, which has infinite patience for Israeli civilian casualties, but none at all for Palestinian civilian casualties. I wonder why. Though Israel is committed to destroying Hamas, regardless of criticism from the outside world, it also needs to preserve its very fragile relations with its new Arab allies, as well as the goodwill of friends here in the West, especially the U.S. So that leads to one other possible reason, fear. Fear that a rapid, intense invasion might alienate the Biden administration. Though the president has been very supportive since the October 7th terror attacks, his administration's policy toward Israel was kind of cool for two and a half years. There is speculation, which the U.S. has denied, by the way, that Israel will hold off on a big ground invasion until Biden's expected visit that should be happening now or later on is over and the president is again safely out of the way. Speculation. Speculation. We just remain on pins and needles. Well, there's another player in this that doesn't, or we haven't reported that he said very much. That's Iran's Ayatollah Khomeini. He warns that nobody will be able to stop Muslims or resistance forces, Iranian resistance forces, if Israel keeps bombing Gaza. Now, that's days after hundreds of thousands rallied to ex-Hamas chiefs call for day of jihad. Iran's supreme leader, he warned yesterday that nobody would be able to stop Muslims around the world and resistance forces in Israel if Israel continues bombing Gaza. If the crimes of the Zionists, that's Israel, regime continue, Muslims and resistance forces will become impatient. No one can stop them, Khomeini said. No matter what the Zionist regime does, it cannot make up for the scandalous failure that it suffered. Those comments follow calls by former Hamas chief Khalid Michel for a day of jihad across the Muslim world last Friday before hundreds of thousands of protesters turned out worldwide to show their solidarity with their beleaguered Gazans as more than one million were forced to flee their homes. Iran's clerical rulers long been vocal in their support for the Palestinian cause. Tehran makes no secret of its backing for Hamas, funding and arming the Islamist group that controls Gaza. They're doing the same thing up on the north side with Hezbollah. Very formidable foe in Iran. And that is a very precipitous road for any nation to go down right now. 
But let's be honest about this one thing. The Israeli people, they make no bones about it. They're sticking up for their nation, their people. And they feel like they have just as much right to be where they are doing what they do as anybody else on earth. Just saying. So let's get away from the Israel thing for a little bit. We don't have any positive answers that we can actually say, this is exactly what's happening, and this is going to prompt exactly this to happen. So it doesn't do any good to fret. Pray for the people, the innocent people. And it doesn't matter if they're Israeli or if they're a Palestinian. It doesn't matter. Innocent people are innocent. I don't think any of us feel like we automatically have the right to just kill somebody. Now, I know people on that other side of this equation feel opposite of that, but that's between them and God. We can't change anybody's minds, especially on this order. We found out, you look around at some of the protests that went on over the weekend. Muslims, from top to bottom, are pretty aggressive and pretty firm in what they believe and what they're instructed to do. I can't make it any more sugar-coated. I can't say it any nicer than that way. It's a fact. They believe what they're doing and have been doing for generations is what their God tells them to do. And so they're doing what their God says for them to do, according to the experts out there. Meanwhile, back in the United States, we have a few issues here that we need to deal with, like one at the southern border. We haven't heard anything about it in the last 10 days. I wonder why. Do you think that may have been a screen that got thrown up and everybody in the Biden administration did a big just because the concentration on our southern border may have waned a little bit while the world is watching Gaza and Israel and Lebanon, and Iran. I think that's a fact. I believe leadership in the White House are very glad that this is a diversion to take that attention away. But nevertheless, things still continue to go on. And one of the biggest debacles we have as Americans is our energy situation. Nobody can credibly say whenever you drive up to the gas pump that you're excited to be paying $4 a gallon for gas and $6 a gallon for diesel. It's not fun. It's not fun at all. Let me put it in perspective for you. For years, we had and we drove, and it's when we owned the football teams, we were on the road a lot, we had a Prevost motor coach. 40, 45-footer. Weighed a lot. Burned a lot of diesel. <laughs> a lot of diesel. And it had a 230-gallon tank. You do the math. $6 diesel when it's low-priced. That's $1,400 to fill it up. Now, that 230 gallons would go a long way. It would take us 12, 13, 1,400 miles. But still, come on. You go to the truck stop and pay $1,400 to fill up, it'll make you swallow hard, <laughs> among other things. Well, one of my favorite people on the planet is Senator John Kennedy, U.S. Senator John Kennedy. 
I know him. I've been with him. He probably wouldn't know me from Adam. I sat with him in a church service when he was running for his last term as Louisiana treasurer before he decided to run for the Senate. He's a, he's a modern-day Samuel Clemens. Who would that be? Mark Twain. He weighed in yesterday. I love some of this stuff. Listen to John Kennedy talking about the Biden-slash-U.S.-slash-American people's energy crisis. I think that the one of the differences between people and dogs is that dogs would never allow the weakest or the dumbest to lead the pack. President Biden's energy policy is both weak and dumb. Folks in my home state of Louisiana are facing some of the largest energy bills, electricity bills in the history of ever. For upper middle income and higher Americans, this inflation led by gasoline prices may cause them to have to choose between Amazon Prime and Netflix. But for our less fortunate Americans, it's a choice between filling up their car or paying their rent and buying the food. President Biden's energy policy is wind, solar, and wishful thinking. And his new policy is that we should buy oil and gas from foreign countries that hate us so those foreign countries will have more money to try to kill us. The reason gas prices are going up is because the oil's in Louisiana and Texas and the dipsticks are in Washington, D.C. You can't talk about energy without talking about climate change. The climate is changing. It's changing in my state. Our sea levels are going up about a foot a century. We need to address it. But I see, and I think these colleagues of mine see, the changes in our climate as a discrete scientific problem. Unlike President Biden and Secretary Kerry and the other Trotsky-like wokers, they see climate change as a religion. And you can't talk about it unless you follow their dogma. I'm pretty much an all-of-the-above energy type guy. I support wind, solar, thermal, hydrogen. Unlike many of my Democratic colleagues, I support nuclear. But I also support oil and gas. We were energy independent. The Biden administration forfeited it. The only way to get gasoline prices lower is to flood this country with oil, our own oil, and guarantee to the industry that if it invests capital to do that, that it will be allowed to get a return on its capital and that the Biden administration won't try to put them out of business. Mm. You know, the one thing about John Kennedy nobody can credibly disagree with is he makes sense. He says those things, and we chuckle a little bit because of the humor that goes along with what he said. Same kind of thing about Mark Twain. I mean, I when I was growing up, I was a Mark Twain fan. I read every one of the books that I could get my hands on, and it was because he had a way with words kind of like those that John Kennedy puts together. And I have no idea where he goes to get that stuff. If he's got a reference book somewhere or if he's got somebody on the staff that looks it up. But when it comes out of his mouth, that sounds so intellectual. And I think Americans can relate to that and relate to the issues that he speaks about. And he makes no bones about it. He doesn't live a grandiose life. 
He's not a filthy rich individual. He's one of us. Now, he's had a good career in his life, and based upon that, he's doing okay. But there are tens of millions of others that are just like that, and we're not doing as okay as we were doing before this president became this president. You know exactly what I'm talking about. We're getting the same stuff if we're lucky and we're paying 25, 30, 40% more on the things that we took for granted in the previous four years of the administration of Donald Trump, the one that everybody hates. Well, everybody doesn't hate him, but everybody in a position of political power doesn't love him. Many do, thankfully, but not everybody. There are a bunch of Republicans that can't stand Donald Trump. They don't want him back. And you know why? Listen to this. The number one reason why that is such a big deal among that group of Republicans that are called rhinos, Republican in name only, they know because of what he did over four years He wants to give the government back to the people. How dare anybody in politics want to do that? We the people. Look at at the polls. Every time the witch hunt comes around with another chapter and he gets popped for this, he said this, he did this, he stole this, and he gets another indictment. Every time it happens, you see almost instantly what the American people, the majority of conservatives in the nation, what they think about, not just Donald Trump. And if you listen to the Hillary Clintons of the world, the Nancy Pelosi's of the world, the Joe Biden's of the world, if you listen to them, they blame you because you According to Hillary Clinton, you need to go get mental health if you're a MAGA person. Make America great again. How could anybody, Democrat or any other ilk politically, disagree with wanting to make America great again? If you look at the circumstances of America today and just look over your shoulder back four years, This administration, and when I say administration, I'm lumping in all the Democrats in every layer of our government, local, state, federal, White House, Congress, everywhere. If you look at it and you think it was better now or it is better now than it was four years ago, you're smoking something. You can't credibly believe that. So why do people choose to go down that path of hatred for the success that was given to the American people by Donald Trump? And when I say he gave it to him, all he did was get the government out of the way for a few years and let capitalism do what capitalism has always done. For capitalism to work, there cannot be heavy-handed people in the top of the government that control everything. It has to be controlled by the people of the nation. 
and they express that in our representative republic format, we express our desires for life that government weighs in on, and we elect those people to go to Congress and the White House to represent our ideals, not theirs. And then the biggest Democrat thing that pops up today is guess what has happened? Oh my gosh. And the HHS, Health and Human Services, we have a trans, and I guess I have to say woman, I'm, I'm trying to be, and I'm being honest, I'm struggling But Biden's HHS yesterday announced their impose. This is this is huge, ladies and gentlemen. And I just misgendered somebody when I said ladies and gentlemen, right? Anyway, this is a big deal. It made news big time yesterday. Late Biden's Health and Human Services has imposed drumroll. Gender identity pronoun mandates on its employees. That's massive, isn't it? That's world-changing. That's going to make life so much better for every American. Now, the HHS, by the way, those people that work there, 80,000 of them technically work for you. The HHS imposed its new gender identity and non-discrimination guidance, and it outlines employee rights and protections related to gender identity, according to an alleged HHS email sent to employees. Here's what it says. HHS today imposed a transgender pronoun mandate on its employees who will now be forced to deny biological realities with their own words or face Firing. Those with faith objections should immediately request religious accommodation and prepare to fight for your rights. The HHS email. It's a one sentencer. All employees should be addressed by the names and pronouns they use to describe themselves. And to make it even clearer, the HHS posted a video to YouTube designated as unlisted. (laughs) In that one, HHS Secretary Andrea Palm says the policy allows colleagues to show up every day as their whole selves. Oh my gosh, doesn't that make you feel wondrous? I want to say clearly to every one of you, who you are and who you know yourself to be is valid, Palm said. We want you to be your authentic self every day, regardless of your gender identity, sexual orientation, race, ethnicity, religion, or disability status. Now, while Palm did mention religion, neither the video nor the email disclosed if the HHS plans to accommodate or exempt employees with religious objections to affirming transgender delusions. This you this goes down many, many layers. We could go down this rabbit hole and stay, and we're going to bring Steve Baker on in a few minutes. I'm not laughing at anybody. I'm just saying, just imagine the rank chaos 
that this email and this policy has already begun and how it's going to be impossible. I can see a scenario when somebody that works at HHS, they refuse to address or talk to any fellow employee because they don't want to get busted for misgendering them. I mean, what do I say? Uh, Is he one of the guys? Uh, If he was one of the guys and now he's identifying as one of the girls, do I call him a guy? Do I call him a girl? Do I reference male or female? What do I do? And so the only way you can keep from getting fired if you work with them is just don't talk to them. (laughs) Oh, my God. You can't win. It's politics. That's all it is. And you can't win. You're not going to be successful trying to win that war especially in this administration. So why don't we do this together? I'm going to get Mr. Baker on the phone. I wonder if he's listening. We're going to find out in just a second. Steve, if you're listening, I'm I'm down you live. Yes, sir. You're live. Don't say anything ugly. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Steve, Steve Baker joins us from some zip code somewhere. We never know. We never know where he's hanging out. And I'm not laughing at you. I don't know if you've been able to listen to the last little bit of the of the show, but I just did the story about HHS coming out, and um, they're gonna they're gonna destroy the lives of any of their eighty thousand employees that dares to misgender somebody that works. Oh, out. oh, I missed that. I, I hate that I missed that. Because uh, <laughs> all all that. All that does is motivate me to misgender everything. (laughs) Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I mean, we, you know, we never, we we don't live in the tar and feather days, but never underestimate (laughs) what this administration can get to. (laughs) They may bring buckets of tars to work. (laughs) We're well aware of that, aren't we? What part of America do you find yourself in today, sir? I'm just down the road from you. I'm in Irving, Texas right now. Good place. So not not far at all. Yeah. Well, I'm originally from Texas. We moved to Louisiana mm-hmm. when I was four, South Texas, but I've always been a big fan of Texas. And uh, yeah. a lot of Texans are, well, they're really not Texans. They're Californians that wanted to get away from uh, California. <laughs> right. So so long as they don't bring their their voting habits uh, with them, I think they would be more than welcome. I hear that all the time from my friends in Texas. Yeah. We're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. Come here. Just don't don't bring that political stuff from California and your tax situation from out there. Exactly. Everything well, I, that you voted for out there, leave it there. Yeah. So how are things? with Steve Baker as it pertains to the latest releases of information and stuff that you've been able to publish and get out there? Well, I'm pretty excited right now. Uh, we had a, a planning session yesterday afternoon uh, with our video editors on how we're going to roll out uh, this this video that we've, we've captured from Capital CCTV related to January 6th and more specifically related to these... Um, well, these fictions created by our government in court, and as as I've as I've said before on this show, I mean we have the we have the kill shot. I mean we have 
we have some we have some people dead rights in terms of um, our ability to prove to the American people that our government purposely suborned perjury. And what that means is very simply this: they got people to lie on the stand in order to put other Americans in prison for years and years and years. And, um, and we're going to show that and we're going to reveal it all. We're going to do it in a, in a series of reveals because we have, Dan, as we've gotten into this more and more and more stories have come to light more and more, um, big incidences involved in this, this process, um, that we don't want to, it's almost like, uh, people always say to, you know, they're constantly picking on me about this or they're hammering me about this or they're mad at me because we just don't dump all of this at one time. And I think everyone will understand after what we went through in the last two weeks with the, uh, the speaker vacancy with McCarthy getting uh, voted out literally hours before our story, the first reveal of our story was coming out last, last week or two weeks ago. And then with the invasion uh, of the Palestinian uh, Hamas group into Israel, and then that those two stories themselves just basically sucking all the oxygen out of the room in the news cycle, that I think maybe people will be a little bit more gracious as we roll this out now in little bits and bites so we don't confuse anybody with too much information. So we're going to hit them one at a time. Boom, 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 and show this thing, and then let that momentum grow till till finally the you know the, the, I think I think uh, honestly Dan I think even it's going to get to the point where the MSM is going to have to come around because they they ignored the first release they ignored our story about um, Special Agent David Lazarus and I mean they went tight 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 um, closed uh, mouth and. And I think that they they all got their marching orders, or as it were, uh, that morning facts, as we used to talk about, you know, with their their talking points. And this in this particular case, their talking point was don't talk at all. Yeah. But I think that I think that we're going to get enough momentum from this as the weeks roll on and as we roll this out, that they're going to have to finally address it. Let me ask you this: of the involvement in the January sixth aftermath the trials you're talking about people being sworn under oath and they're lying while they're under oath, which is perjury who in our government is going to be exposed. And I'm not looking necessarily for names, but what departments of this administration are going to be exposed for that? The, the three primary targets, I'm just going to call it that the, the, the targets in my sites And the only ones who could have made this happen are our Department of Justice in cahoots with the Federal Bureau of Investigation uh, with the complicity as well of the the Capitol Police. And I also have, uh, and I can't go too far without getting myself ahead of the team here, but we are also aware that there was going back quite some time, some of the, some of the, uh, well, let's say when the chess pieces were set up on the table, that there were some uh, Congress members that participated in that process. Congress members. 
leadership. Yeah, that's about as far in, as I can take it. In leadership, <laughs> or is it going to be rank and file people? Uh, right now, rank and file, but um, it it's it, it's. Let's just say that, <laughs> man, it's, it's, you, you know, I want to just go. Oh yeah. I, I just want to unload and I want to let it, I want to let it all out. But I, actually, hey, is, actually, I was kind of hoping <laughs> you would slip and let one or two go. <laughs> I, I really do, Dan. I want to, I just want to take this house of cards down. I want to yank that that two of clubs off the bottom and let it topple right now. That's exactly what I want to do. And I, I can't because there is a method to this and there is a pattern to this and we still have, you know, we still have to be exactly right. And I, I think that that's really important. Uh, and it's more important certainly than it is to the government to be exactly right. But that's our job. We have to be 100% bulletproof in our story. We have to have every single loose end buttoned up, making sure that we don't make a mistake. And, uh, when we roll this out and I will tell you, I, I have been accused by, uh, you know, the, the likes of the sedition hunters and a bunch of, uh, leftist trolls on Twitter about lying about our story that came out two weeks ago. But I'm telling you who did not attack the, the leftist press did not attack the Capitol Police did not respond. The Department of Justice has not responded. The FBI has not responded. And there's a reason why none of them have responded. And that it would be. Is, it's as tight as a tick, man. We got it right. <laughs> oh, I hate that when it happens. You know, let me, let me give you a comparison for me now. You and I talk pretty regularly besides in these Tuesdays, and you're able to give me some information. But I, I'm going to tell you this, folks. I've goaded him. I've begged. He hadn't given me any names either. <laughs> He's doing the job the right <laughs> way. But don't you know that those people, they lived in a world even well after Donald Trump took office. They thought, that they got kicked in the teeth and they were never going to let that happen again. They were going to take yeah. the government back and they began putting this all together. They thought they had it together, but they lost, they lost that plan when Donald Trump snuck mm -hmm. on them in 2016. Nevertheless, they're committed and they thought because they had the white house, they had Merrick Garland, the most feckless attorney general in my lifetime, not only feckless, dishonest, in your face, doesn't give a rip, and certainly doesn't handle his role as being the attorney general. Having him in their hip pocket, having Christopher Ray and whatever they have on Ray, and I haven't looked, I'm not going to look until maybe toward the end of the show who's listening in today. But nevertheless, they thought they were poised to be able to hide everything, that they could roll out this crazy um, select committee that they did that wasn't select. It was two rhino Republicans and a bunch of hardcore diplomat, bureaucrat, Democrats, and they brought in a Hollywood producer to put it all together to lie, 
to the American people about the happenings of January 6th, and it was all part of the plot to make sure Donald Trump goes to prison for the rest of his life. And everything else went kind of downhill. But now they're seeing people like you, in some lesser degree, people like us over here, and others that are like-minded as we are, we're committed to finding the facts and giving the facts untainted by political perspective, giving those to the American people. And we trust the American people to take that and make it credible by checking it out for themselves and being able to nod and say, you know what? I kind of suspected that, but now I know for sure. And it's scaring the bejesus out of them right now. Oh, yeah. It is, and they are they are uh, they are up against the wall. I, I, you know, I I wanted to say that they're on the ropes, uh, but they they are um, they're in a realization mode that they could lose a few decades of their efforts right now because there is a an awakening giant out there. You and you and I you and I have spent a lot of these conversations together. Uh, in moments of gloom and doom where we felt like it was all falling apart and we were going to lose it all. And, and, you know, and tomorrow I may feel that way again, but every once in a while I see the, I see the glimmer of hope on the horizon or I see the American people rising up or I see uh, people waking up is really the most important thing right now. We just have to get them awake. But I think that, you know, the projects that I'm working on right now is, is just one of those, um, you know, I, I what, what do you you call you know the the straw that broke or the the camel's back or whatever? It's it's one of those straws, and I'm thankful that I've been given the access, I've been put in a position uh, to facilitate that. But it's going to take more than just me and my story, uh, me and my stories that I'm working on. It's going to take a lot more effort from a lot more people. And for one thing today, every one of you that are sitting out there listening to our voices right now, and you, you may have already said this on the program, Dan, if you're in a district where you have a, um, you have a representative, a congressperson in your district who is not going to vote for Jordan today and here just uh, uh, less than an hour, you need to, you need to call their, uh, their office right now. <laughs> And you need to go on their Twitter account right now and you need to hammer them and you need to push them over the edge. We don't have time to waste on this. Uh, this is, this is a very, this is, this is as important a vote today, uh, Dan, almost as important as a presidential election. I agree totally. And I think more and more people are understanding that we need somebody in that position of authority, at least on the House side, to make there be some balance looking in and getting these facts. Just imagine if you had, you personally, had the staffing of a House speaker, all those people working full-time for you, helping you and assisting you in this thing. But the problem Mm -hmm. with doing it as a government official, a member of Congress on either side, House or Senate, is that the politics always is the 900-pound gorilla in the room that nobody can see, but everybody knows he's sitting there. 
And doggone it, when I just misgendered a gorilla, I said he. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. If I offended any gorilla, <laughs> please don't take it out on me. We just did that story just a few minutes ago. Anyway, um, <laughs> something that, and thank you for telling us what you've been able to tell us. And what you said about the election for House Speaker today and Jim Jordan, you know, Steve Scalise, he got chosen to be the guy to go to the floor a week ago when they voted. And obviously it didn't go really as well. Steve is a friend of this show. He's not my congressman, but he's from New Orleans. And I know him. He's a really, really good guy. But he's challenged right now on a lot of fronts. And multiple myeloma, which is the blood cancer Mm -hmm. that he has, one of my closest friends and college buddy, a former black belt karate champ, former football player, in college as a linebacker, a really, really good athlete, came within inches of dying from multiple myeloma. And that was six years ago. And he's still Mm. dealing with that in the aftermath. Now, remember, Scalise was the one that almost died from the gunshots that he sustained when that idiot, that terrorist, that Democrat, nobody wants to hear about or talk about anymore, just decided to take a rifle and go to a baseball practice for the Republican Party and just started inadvertently shooting towards all of them. And Steve got caught in that. What we now have is we have Jim Jordan, who probably is the greatest bulldog that I've seen in the House of Representatives in a long time. And he's got the confidence of a lot of people in the House And I think, as you said, they better take care of business because this is beginning to look very slippery towards the possibility of you get you get a dozen Republicans that flip. We could have Hakeem Jeffries, a Democrat, as the House Speaker. We're that close to that. And if that would ever happen, everything you're doing would immediately the anti-Steve Baker movement would be amped up exponentially and there wouldn't be anything conservatives could do to stop it. We're that close to getting there. And I want to segue from that. I'm, I, I, I'm not, I, I know you've got not a lot of time. I want to honor that. But I want to segue into something that just really has got me worried. U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin. That's mm. that... Uh, far leftist Mm -hmm. judge, she sided with prosecutors to place a gag order on Donald Trump in that case related to January 6th. Now, we all know about what's going on there, but what I want to get in your brain about and see if you feel the same way I do, this could be the final straw in the government of the United States of America taking the First Amendment away from Americans. If this doesn't get to the Supreme Court and very quickly through an emergency appeal, we're looking at a environment where a government can, a sitting president and his minions can block an opponent politically from running for any position against the sitting person 
if they control the rule of law and all of the things and the power that the federal government has and use it against Americans, there will forever be whoever has the political clout will run every part of our nation. First Amendment, forget about it. If they can do it, I've heard Trump say this numerous times. If they can do this to him, they can do it to us. How serious is this? Well, I, you know that I believe it's incredibly serious, and I've been threatened with virtually the same thing. It didn't get as far as the court itself, but when I was initially threatened with prosecution from the Department of Justice, I, uh, the first thing that I did, and this was uh, two years ago, the first thing that my lawyer and I did is we, we crafted a, a press release, and we sent that out. And that went out on the Monday morning of Thanksgiving, two years ago, Thanksgiving week. And that went out at nine o'clock in the morning to about 200 media agencies. And by 1.30 that same day, the U.S. attorney out of Philadelphia, uh, assistant U.S. attorney Anita Eve, she sent a copy of that uh, press release to my attorney and with the words, we're not happy about this. And my attorney responded to her and said, are you suggesting that my client forego his First Amendment rights in the face of the federal government, you know, threatening him with prosecution? And of course she responded, oh no, no, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm just saying that a judge, the judge who gets his case may not look upon this very well, and in other words, against him, that's a veiled threat. It's not too veiled. Oh, it, <laughs> oh it's it, yeah. It, this is not a very thick veil. <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly right. And so and so for two years, I have been operating under the assumption that every word I say, Dan, is going to be used against me. So I've said as many as I can. <laughs> I, I was like. I, I got my I got my Grammarly report. I get a weekly report from Grammarly, you know. And if, if, for those I who do don't too. know Grammarly, it's I like, do it too. It's like yeah, it's like a you know, it's like spell check on steroids. And and it's, it's um, the best and, thing that ever happened for writers. Believe me. Yes, it's fantastic. <laughs> and just since January of this year, I've written three point four million words. Wow. Three point four million, Dan. They got enough ammo against me <laughs> 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 and, 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 you know, it's not 12 million documents like they're, you know, they're like they're in one of Trump's uh, cases, but yeah. the, the, the best I can do is, is use this wonderful tool. We have the first amendment as not only a defensive weapon, but an offensive weapon. And now we circle back to Trump and that's exactly what they're doing. They're trying to take away and let's, let's call it what it is. He's a bull in the China shop. He's a New Yorker who with no filter. And that has been his best weapon. Let me read the words the judge said in court. Trump can argue that this prosecution is politically motivated, the judge said. But Trump cannot disparage 
the prosecutor by calling him a thug or vilify and implicitly encourage violence against public servants who are simply doing their job. She is also barring Trump and all parties from making statements about witnesses in the case. So it comes down to this one thing. Well, what about the First Amendment, which says basically, and we've always quoted it this way, the First Amendment says anybody can say anything about anybody else, even if they don't like what is being said. That may be a little trivial way to explain it, but the whole point of even having a First Amendment was because our forefathers grew up and lived in parts of Europe where they didn't have First Amendment. Yeah. yeah. Who knew better than they what needed to be decided and put into a right that belonged exclusively to the people and was not to be manipulated by the government. And by the way, Judge Tanya Chutkin, she's a U.S. district judge. She works for the government. She works for you and me. So this applies to her. And she said these things from the bench with impunity. Mm -hmm. He cannot, she said about Trump disparage the prosecutor by calling him a thug. He is a thug. <laughs> there, I said. Of course, it. and yeah, and 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 of course, that, that order doesn't apply to you or I, so we can say it. But more importantly, uh, we have a process for people that get insulted or defamed or libeled unfairly. They can take them to court, but that doesn't mean they can't, that a judge, well, let's, let me start over. Can a judge do this? Yeah, judges are doing this all the time now. They are putting January six defendants in uh, gag orders. Uh, they're doing they're they're doing this uh, with frequency, uh, unlike we've ever seen. But until we put our foot down and say we're not going to take it, and that's going to have to come from us, and that, that means that everybody with every uh, channel of communication they have needs to call this judge a thug. This judge is a thug in violation of the Constitution, and that's what she needs to be called out for. And everybody needs to let that ring from the rafters. The, every word that she said that Trump can't say, everybody needs to say that to her. <laughs> well, let, do me a favor. Whenever you uh, publish your saying that word, <laughs> copy me on it. I, I want to I see you say that. You're in the bullseye. <laughs> Most of us aren't, but you're in the bullseye. Hey, let me just ask you real quickly. Do you remember what the four counts in her court against Trump are? Um, I know that one of them is uh, he has the 1512, which is obstruction of uh, basically obstruction of uh, Congress. And um, I don't recall what the other three are. Okay, well, that one's count two, the one you're talking about, conspiracy mm-hmm. to obstruct an official proceeding. I think, right. if, I think if any of them has legs, that one would be the one, but I don't believe it has legs. Count one, conspiracy to defraud the United States. Yeah. Okay, you know number two, we just told you that one. Mm-hmm. Count three, obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. <laughs> <laughs> you can't obstruct. 
you can't obstruct or try to obstruct or create the obstruction of an attempt to to obstruct. It makes no sense. And count four, conspiracy against rights. That's obviously a catch-all. Yeah, right. It's It's not about substance. None of this is about substance. It's about putting the American people in a box that they control who opens and closes the lid, they being the government. And anything they say goes. Don't you dare disagree with them. Oh, you can take us to court, but you better have a quarter of a million dollars to start off with so that you can get a reputable defense attorney to represent you. And na-na-na-boo-boo, we know you don't have a quarter of a million dollars, so you best just sit Mm -hmm. down and shut up. We're losing our First Amendment. If this thing, this is the most, in my opinion, this is the most important piece of the prosecution of Donald Trump that he faces. The most important one. And it's not so much about Donald Trump. It's about the rest of us and what the fallout will be if this stands. He could serve well, one him. thing. The one thing the go- one thing the government has done, and I think we've talked about this before. To me, over the last um, three years, especially, uh, it <laughs> the government has put me in the position over and over and over again of defending a guy that I don't support, and that's a very you know <laughs> unusual place to be because you know I, I don't I don't make any bones about it. I've never been a Trump guy. That's fine. And we all have our uh, our individual concerns and passions, and and uh, our politics vary differently. But the point being is, is because of what the government has been doing to him over the last three years, they have put me in a position of having to defend him rather than, you know, outright supporting him. And that's what they're. That's exactly what they're doing once again. They're putting me, and I, and you know, and. It, it makes me look like a Trump supporter, but I'm not. I'm supporting the First Amendment. And if you're taking away his First Amendment rights, well, then I become a supporter of his rights. Yeah. And then if they did the same thing to Bernie Sanders or to Hillary Clinton or to um, Joe Biden and they tried to stifle their speech. They tried to put a gag order on them and say, you can't say this. If a Republican, a right-leaning activist judge did exactly the equal and opposite to one of those characters, I wouldn't suddenly be a Biden supporter. I wouldn't be a Bernie Sanders supporter or a Hillary Clinton supporter, but I would defend their right to say whatever the heck they want to say. Let me that uh, he could he could face fifty five years for the first if he was adjudicated to be guilty on the first three charges, but the fourth charge could be the death penalty. Now let me read you the context of the statute: If two or more persons conspire to injure, oppress, threaten, or intimidate any person in any state, territory, commonwealth, possession, or district in the free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured to him by the Constitution or laws of the United States or because of his having so exercised the same, or 
If two or more persons go in disguise on the highway or on the premises of another with intent to prevent or hinder his free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege so secured, they shall be fined under this title or imprisoned no more than 10 years or both. And if death results from the acts committed in violation of this section or such acts include kidnapping or an attempt to kidnap, aggravated sexual assault or an attempt to commit aggravated sexual abuse or any attempt to kill, they shall be fined under this title or imprisoned for any term of years or for life or both or may be sentenced to death. Talk about (laughs) reaching that second section, the last one I read. You know that's the one they're going to deal with the most and try to get him. If death results from the acts committed in violation of this section... What are they going to bring up? All those people that died January 6th. It's because of Trump. Yeah. All those yeah, people. Yeah. <laughs> you saw That's the exactly one person right. that died, Ashley Babbitt. You saw her being wheeled to an ambulance that day. Yeah. Yep. And somehow that's Trump's fault. Everything is Trump's fault. I, I will tell you that the, um, the book by uh, Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn uh, that is coming out on October 24th. So we're just seven or eight days away, I guess. When that book hits streets or, uh, or your mailbox, if you pre-ordered a copy of that, I don't it, recommend it. It'll, uh, be, it'll be in my mailbox. I've already ordered it. Yeah. <laughs> have you really? I really did. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Hey. What, you should have oh, you, you hey, well, just let me send you a copy of it. <laughs> We, I wanted to have one of my very own that I'm going to get you to autograph. Uh, I'm, after I read it, I know you've read it several times. You got the advanced copy, I know. But I will, yeah. uh, we'll do a whole show <laughs> talking about that. Book. Yeah, is he going to get busted I, or what over that? I. Re, hey, reach oh, out. Real, here's, real here's quick, another one. Here's real, a, no, real yep, quickly. Yep. Tell our people real quickly what we're talking about. I don't want to just automatically think they know everything about it. Tell us. Yeah, yeah. I've done a I've done a series on the Capitol Police. Uh, it is a series in which I um, entitled "The Capitol Police Were Sacrificial Pawns on January 6th. And when I say that, I'm talking about the frontline officers. Yeah, I'm talking about those that were thrown into battle with no um, intelligence, no idea that it was coming. Uh, not properly suited, um, certainly not ready for what was coming their way that day. They got no briefings about that because intel was purposely held from them, and they were purposely uh, sent out undermanned that day. And this is this is all in my series, and I invite everybody to go to my locals page. You just go to TPC, the number four USA, TPC4USA.com, and search uh, sacrificial pawns and, and you can pull up the three parts. Well, in the third part, I introduce, uh, uh Capitol police officer, Harry Dunn, and he was a frontline officer. Uh, he was on what they call their first responders team. He carries an M4, uh, automatic weapon. His basic posting every day of his life is he stands guard of the Capitol outside. That's what he does. And he was made, uh, and turned into the hero of the day. He'd been awarded a presidential medal, a congressional medal, and for heaven's sakes, a book deal. While all of the rest of the Capitol Police officers are under basically gag orders, 
they're under non-disclosures, NDAs. And so, but this guy's been basically given carte blanche to talk about January 6th in a manner that no one else has been able to do. And so the problem with that is is that about 90% of everything that he's been um, uh, heralded and championed as being the hero of the day for didn't happen. And we have the video evidence of that. And we are going to be rolling that out. Uh, we are going to be presenting this uh, in a series to the American people. And it is, um, uh, it's, and, and this is probably the biggest burden that I'm carrying right now, uh, Dan, because I, I think that he's being used as well. I think that he's a sacrificial pawn. I think that they're going to throw him under the bus when these stories come out. And he's just going to be just so much chaff uh, to them. And we will see the the utter lack of humanity that these people have when they decide to distance themselves from the assertions made in this book. And see the left. And, of course, this was being led by... Oh, I don't even, I hate to even use her name, Pelosi, Speaker, former Speaker Pelosi. This was all contrived and put together. And the saddest thing about what you just said, the whole thing, is he's African American. And they're going to throw him to the wolves. We all know that. Yep. How can they justify that? Not just because, I mean, if you see him, he's a really big man. He's very foreboding to look at. And you see him standing up on the top of a staircase carrying an M4 fully automatic, one of those real weapons of war. Right. It's kind of spooky and scary to look at, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, he not only is is he carrying an actual assault weapon, but at 6'7", 300 plus pounds, he's an assault <laughs> weapon himself. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. it's it's They are so horrified about losing the control that they have, what they think they've done is surreptitiously slipped in behind without us knowing it. And they've been stealing it a little bit at a time. And they felt like they were within a few years of being able to close the deal. And of course we showed them through COVID, the pandemic, how many of our rights, how much of our rights we were willing to give to the government because they were going to take care of us. They had convinced tens of millions of Americans, hey, we've got this. When what they got Americans with were vaccines, none of which to this day have been fully approved by the FDA. But go ahead and take it. You know, this will keep you alive. And we know all the lies and stuff there. That was just one chapter. And this is just one chapter and what's going on, and the American people have got to open their eyes and understand if we don't stop it, it won't stop. Well, I'm going to tell you uh, this to close, and that, and then I do have to get back over to the studio. I got it. I but got the, it. But the, the, the praying members of your audience, I'm going to ask them to pray for Officer Harry Dunn today. And let me tell you why. Okay. Dunn has been fallaciously made a hero. He now has the opportunity to be a real hero. And wow. wow. 
And I, as I've said before, I, I have a knot in my gut about what we're about to do to him in revealing these lies. But I don't think that he was the originator of them, Dan. And you never know what those powerful people around him have over him to make him say the things that he has said under oath in testimony in trials as well as under oath in testimony before Congress. <clears throat> here's the thing. And, here's the thing you got to do, Steve. You've got to accept the fact that the scriptures say it. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We're going to pray for him. We're going to do it on the air here in a little bit. We're going to pray for him and pray for him to make the difference that he can make. And whatever he gave up to be put in the position that he's in, it's going to take him deciding if he's going to stick to the truth, come back and come clean and let everybody know. From their perspective, they don't give a rip about him. He's a pawn. And pawns, as we know in a chess game, are very expendable. But in the big scheme of things, they've got him convinced that he can be a hero. And he's going to see all of that dissolve one way or the other. You guys, you don't have a choice. You've got to push forward with the evidence that's out there because you're serving yeah. the American people as he was. But he was given a false slate of ideas that he bought into. That's sad. But you know what? It was conscious. It was a decision, and everybody's got to pay the price. Hey, look, yeah. thank you for spending these extra few minutes. Normally, we keep you 30, 35 minutes. Tell all the guys at Blaze Network that we watch and we listen and we thank them for what they're doing. And, of course, you're one of us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Dan. I look forward to talking to you again soon. And we will do that. Have a great week. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Real Truth, Real News, TNN, the Truth News Network. A wild-caught filio fish and a sizzly double cheeseburger. Well, they are two classics that never go out of style. Hold on. Wait. You're assembling a surf plus turf McDonald's hack, which must make you a menu hacker. Yes, the surf plus turf available only on the McDonald's app. You get free medium fries and a drink. Oh, someone opened the app. I need to order and build one immediately. The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY.
New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry, dragon fruit, and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. See the bold new expression of sporty style. Hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin. Feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque and experience greater acceleration than ever before. Behold, the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my. can never forget this song. <laughs> Remember that? Pee Wee Herman's Pee Wee's Great Adventure? Tequila. Hey, we've been watching while we had Steve on the air with us, and we really appreciate him coming and sharing with us. And uh, this is all, what I'm, I'm going to predict something right now. All this stuff that he has brought to us in the past, the information, the stories, of the research, and we're about to start seeing the videos for ourselves on a national basis. All of that, it's all coming together, and it's going to be like a nuclear explosion on the nation when it comes out because Americans will be seeing the Department of Justice, who we are finding out slowly over and over and over again, we can't trust them, that they're not only untrustworthy, they're criminals and what they're doing. And um, the light of truth, when it shines on individuals and events, and finally people see the facts, it's releasing. It's kind of like you get this sense of fulfillment, even if it doesn't change the circumstances that came from the decisions you made based upon what you were lied to and lied about and things that you did, when you get the facts, even if it's bad, it gives you a moment of release to know, finally, I got the rest of the story. We're already more than a week into this Hamas-Israeli war. Just about a week. The Biden administration is just now beginning to ramp up an evacuation process of American citizens that have been trapped in Israel. Now, put that in the context of what happened. This all began Saturday a week ago in the wee hours of the morning in Israel. So it's about midnight our time, Friday night, a week ago. By Monday afternoon, private individuals and groups had put together commercial jets, charter jets, that they at their own expense sent to get people out of Israel. Our government should have been right there. But once again, Joe Biden is showing us that he looks in the rearview mirror to get any information with which he makes a decision. Remember the disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal? It seems like he's forgot it, but he's got another failed evacuation, and it's not looking well for President Biden. What should have been not just him, but a whole-of-government effort to evacuate American citizens 
that have been trapped in Israel? It's happened, but only in little drips and bits and pieces. As rockets rained down on civilians, the big three American commercial airlines, American Delta and United, they stopped their service to and from Israel within a day, even as other international carriers were still working to get their people out. It's not prudent or appropriate to knowingly put our flight crews and passengers in harm's way by maintaining flights into a war zone. That came from a guy named Ed Seeker, is the head of American Airlines Pilot Union. Just a few hours later, Biden advised Americans trapped in Israel to use commercial means to get home, and they'd already stopped. American Delta and United had already stopped flying. For American citizens who are currently in Israel, the president said, the State Department is providing consular assistance as well as updated security alerts for those who desire to leave Commercial flights and ground options are still available, the president said, and that wasn't true. What good is corporate cronyism if the world's most powerful government and some of the largest companies in history can't rapidly, maybe it's not can't, but won't rapidly mobilize an effort to save hundreds of Americans still trapped in a war zone? Gone are the days when pilots would feel the duty to risk their lives to save their fellow citizens. We likely won't see any inspiring stories on the heroism of America's corporate air employees. Also, politicians care more about their standing in the international community than they do their citizens. We are all cogs in the great liberal machine, rootless citizens of the world. So let's look back for a second at this past week. It became clear that at least 25 Americans had been killed in those attacks, 25, and more had likely been taken hostage. What remained unclear for several days, though, was exactly what the Biden administration planned to do about it. Even the corporate media was forced to notice something's lacking, no sense of urgency. So far, the U.S. does not have plans to activate what's called a Civil Reserve Air Fleet Program. That was an anonymous administration official, uh-huh, talking to Politico on Wednesday. The CRAF, that's Civil Reserve Air Fleet Program, is a program where the DOD works with U.S. airlines to ferry civilians out of conflict zones. The last time it was used was during the Afghanistan withdrawal. On the same day, National Security Council spokesman John Kirby insisted the State Department is in active touch with American citizens in Israel. (laughs) But an anonymous official told Politico it's impossible to even know how many Americans are trapped because the lax travel restrictions between those two countries. So when people say, why don't you know where all these people are? Well... They didn't tell us, the officials said. State Department spokesman Matthew Miller admitted to the chaos on the ground. By the middle of this week, the agency was acutely aware of the currently limited capacity on commercial flights and the high demand from U.S. citizens wanting to depart. But he admitted 
the additional assistance extended merely to phone calls and online forms. The other contract options by air, land, and sea to nearby countries the agency was exploring didn't happen until the end of the week, over this past weekend. So after another week of Biden administration's waffling, and after many other countries successfully evacuated their citizens through joint military-civilian operations, a week After they started it, the first chartered U.S. evacuation flight touched down in Greece on Friday. More are planned for this week as well as evacuations by sea. But adding insult to injury, evacuees will be asked to sign promissory notes, agreement to repay the U.S. government for the cost of their rescue. I can't even fathom that would happen. So we don't have any White House leadership. Everybody knows that. Others were left to pick up the slack. So Governor Ron DeSantis signed an executive order in Florida to mobilize his state resources to help rescue Americans stranded over in Israel. Republican Florida Representative Corey Mills' office facilitated the evacuation. Listen to this. Of 96 Americans out of the country, and it was done free of charge. Overall, this paints a picture of an administration unwilling or unable to act decisively to save Americans. Typically, Democrats, especially useful ones, can survive most scandals. Near total media control makes gaslighting the American public a lot easier than it should be. But they do it. They're good at doing it. Too many can be convinced not to believe their lying eyes. But remember Afghanistan. Remember the disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal is the one failure of this administration that literally soured soured all of us, the American public opinion, on Biden. For the first several months of his presidency, Americans approved of him by about 10 points, more than those that disapproved. That dynamic reversed right after the pullout from Afghanistan. Biden's approval rating has remained 10 to 15 points underwater ever since. Just like Afghanistan, the U.S. government is once again failing at the most basic function expected of it. And the horrifying imagery is plastered all over the media. The White House can effectively manipulate public opinion on many issues, but their latest failure in Israel is unlikely to be one of them. The people are not going to forget. This one, my friends, has become life and death, and death fully in the eyes of the American people. We're about to see dead Americans, their bodies being flown back to the United States. There's no way to get around that. It's going to happen. Oh my gosh. It's really, really sad. So in a few minutes, in just a few minutes, we are going to, um, as soon as the show is over, we're going to go look in on that 
um, meeting of GOP House members as they try to settle on picking a House speaker, which is something that's got to happen very, very quickly. It's got to. It's got to. But there's still a whole lot of others that just can't make up their mind about Jim Jordan. And joining me now is Florida Republican Congressman Carlos Jimenez. He is one of the Republicans who say they're not backing Jim Jordan for speaker when this comes to a vote tomorrow. So, Congressman, Jim Jordan is the pick of House Republicans. He got the vote in conference the other day, and he won the support of some of the other key holdouts today. Why are you not supporting him at this juncture? I'm in the same place where I've always been. I'm uh, backing uh, Kevin McCarthy. Um, Look, uh, what happened to Kevin McCarthy was a travesty. We're in this mess because a very, very small minority of Republicans decided to light the fuse, and the Democrats uh, provided the gunpowder to remove uh, Kevin. There's nothing that any of these candidates have said that would have been any different than what Kevin was proposing, and so it was all personalities. And so I think it's a travesty, and I think it was a coup, and I'm not going not gonna to be participating in a coup. And then lately, now I'm, ha- I'm having real problems with Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan, uh, his uh, followers are putting all kinds of misinformation about me, that I'm somehow uh, going to vote for for Jeffries, for Speaker, all kinds of stuff. And uh, that's really uh, kind of um, disappointing, but also concerning to me. If that's how, if he becomes Speaker, that's the way that he's going to get his policies through. He will intimidate you or his followers will intimidate you into doing some things you may not want to do. I, for one, I'm not going to fall for it. I'm a no. And I'm going to be voting for Kevin McCarthy. Now, Kevin McCarthy has said he's supporting Jim Jordan. He's made it pretty clear he doesn't think he can get the speakership back. I mean, what you're describing sounds like a protest vote. Is that what it is? No, it's uh, I've been there since uh, since Wednesday. I think we need to get to a point where uh, the conference sees that the only alternative, the we should just go back in time and reinstate Kevin because he's our best solution. It's very off, you know, evident when we're in conference, who the leader is, the true leader is, and that's Kevin McCarthy. We should just put him back in his uh, in his post. And, um, you know, he's always said that he will follow the will of the conference, and so I take him at his word. That's why I've stuck with him. I'll, st- I'll stay with him. But now I'm a no to, to uh, uh, Jim Jordan. The tactics that his uh, followers have, have used against uh, fellow Republicans, I think, are something that uh, we shouldn't tolerate. Do you think those tactics have been out of bounds? And do you worry what might happen if you do vote no against Jordan tomorrow? Look, uh, I've, I've spoken to uh, to Jim Jordan. Whatever happens, happens. It's it's kind of ironic. Tell me, though, tell me about guy, that conversation. The you know, I said, look, I, I, you you don't use the kind of tactics against your own members. And then you start to you know spread lies and misinformation. He denied that he's doing it. I'll take him at his word. But those are his followers. He said he asked his followers not to do that anymore, yet they continue to do that. So uh, here, are, here are your followers not heeding your call, uh, Mr. D- uh, Speaker-designee. And so uh, at this point, you know, I just, I just can't. I can't, uh, can't vote for Jim Jordan. I'll vote for uh, Kevin McCarthy, and then we'll see where the chips fall. Do you have any- uh, I know that's us. Yeah, I know you- that. The, look, the numbers initially were like 50 and not yeah. in favor. I think a lot of them had fallen off. I think some of them have succumbed to pressure. Uh, maybe uh, this uh, this pressure campaign is working on some. I'll tell you what, it'll never work on me. You, you can take away all my, my committees. You can put me in the basement. Uh, I'm committed to my vote, and uh, no matter what you do, 
that's what I, that's the way I'm going to vote. Do you think there are enough people left in the conference who feel like you do to prevent Jim Jordan from winning the gavel tomorrow? I haven't finished idea. Uh, and so I know that there are some. Uh, but again, you know, some of the folks that have said now that they're with Jim Jordan uh, were pretty much against him. So he must be doing something right to get some of these folks to go his way. However, remember, uh, this is a five-vote majority, maybe even a four-vote majority. Uh, and so it doesn't take much, unless, of course, he gets Democrat help. And if he gets Democrat help, then, you know, he can, he can um, a lot more of us can say no. And if some Democrats walk, et cetera, for him, then uh, maybe he could reach the gavel, or maybe he does. Maybe I'm standing here by myself. But you know what? I'm willing to stand by myself. Congressman, I think it's pretty unlikely uh, Jim Jordan will get Democrat help, but I'm glad you brought that up because the framing of one of the other holdouts who flipped their vote, Ann Wagner, who had told us on Friday she was a hell no on Jim Jordan, put out a statement today in which she says there's too much at stake to hand over control of the House to radical liberal Democrats, which is why we must elect a conservative as the next speaker. I mean, do you agree with that framing that essentially at this point it's Jim Jordan or handing the reins over to Democrats? Last I heard, there's about 220 conservative Republicans here on, in the House. It's not Jim Jordan doesn't have a stranglehold uh, on that uh, on that title. I'm a conservative Republican. I'm not asking for the post. I'm one. And uh, and I know many, many others are, are conservative Republicans. So it's not Jim Jordan or bust. There's still a heck of a lot of good people here on this side that we have to take a look at. And I think we need to come to a consensus candidate. Uh, now, it could be that uh, Jim Jordan becomes the Speaker of the House. I'll congratulate him and I'll, you know, I'll go on my way uh, and then let's see what happens. But uh, at this point, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think so. I think that we can uh, find somebody else inside the conference, our conference, mm -hmm. not a Democrat, uh, that is a, has true conservative principles that will guide the entire conference and not one wing or another wing, but the entire, somebody who can unify us all. And that's what I'm looking for. That's, believe it or not, that's a Republican. And uh, there is plenty of angst. We're going to see what happens. I'll make a mild prediction. This meeting and this vote that they're about to have will not give us a speaker. It's going to take some more arm pulling and tugging before they're going to get it done. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Good show today. Thanks to Steve, too. He's one of our guys. You guys, you have a great day. Find somebody you love. Tell them you love them. It's so important to make someone happy. Make just one someone happy. Make just one heart to heart you. You sing to one smile that cheers you. One face that lights when it nears you. One girl you're, you're everything. If you win it Comes and goes In a minute Where's the real Stuff in life To cling To Love 
is the answer Someone to love is the answer Once you found her Build your world around her Make someone happy Make just one someone happy And you will be happy too